Welcome to the Sport in History podcast brought to you by the British Society of Sport History in association with the Institute of Historical Research. This week is the last podcast of 2019 and it's another stateside chat as Connor Heffernan talks to Tanya Jones of the University of Texas in Austin. We'll be back in 2020 with lots more from researchers at the cutting edge of sport history as well as our programme of seminars at the IHR. In the meantime, you can follow the Society on Twitter by searching for the British Society of Sport History, or you can contact us via the website at sportinhistory.org. But without further ado, let's hear how Connor got on with Tanya. Okay, so hi everyone and welcome back to another Sport and History podcast from the University of Texas at Austin. I have the pleasure of speaking with Tanya Jones today, who is a PhD student in the Department of Kinesiology who I will now let introduce herself by asking, what are, what are you studying, Tanya, and what are your research interests more broadly? Hi, Connor. Thanks for having me and inviting me onto this podcast. Um, so I study the intersection of race, sports, and politics, specifically looking at uh, apartheid sport and the U.S. Uh, relations during the anti-apartheid movement um, in the 1960s and 70s is kind of where my research mm. has led me to. And how did you get led into that research? What was the road to Damascus moment where you're like, this is what I want to do with my life? So when I entered my master's program at Cal State Fullerton, my advisor uh, was Dr. Matt Llewellyn, who's Welsh, and he uh, he studies apartheid sport mm. uh, within a UK setting. Um, and he handed me a bunch of books. One was on race and sport, gender and sport, um olympic sport and he said read all these and figure out what you want to do <laughs> and so i read i think it was a, five books all different areas and mm. um i liked the idea of race and sport and olympic sport um i've always been fascinated with the olympics and so i talked with him about that and um he knew that my dad was born in africa uh and so he was thought hey, this is a great area that hasn't been studied in the U.S. so much as apartheid sport, um, or from a U.S. context, I should mm-hmm. say. So he said, read up on it a little bit more, and then I kind of just fell in love with the the research and the study, and um, I haven't looked back. <laughs> so. And you're in the really fun and horrific stage where you're writing your dissertation yes. at the moment, or at that dissertation writing stage, so... Uh, how has it been kind of fu- refined in or what have you honed in on now for your dissertation? Yeah, so well, I'll go back to my thesis because it really has followed me since my master's program. Um, my thesis focused on the 1968 Olympics and South Africa's exclusion from the Olympic movement and then overall international sport. Um, and for my dissertation, I still wanted to stick with apartheid sport, but I really wanted to focus again more from a u.s perspective um and not focus on the 60s because i feel like that time frame has just been researched and researched Mm -hmm. and researched so i decided to move a decade up and look at the 1970s um and during my uh preliminary research i found a a person named richard lapchik who uh, did a lot of work with the anti-apartheid movement and human rights and still does a lot of human rights activism. Um, and I started researching about him and found out that he actually doesn't have much written about him. He's written a lot of books 
um, on his own activism, but nothing's really been done on him. And whenever I talk with uh, people, not a lot of people know who he is. Um, so I was like, this is a perfect dissertation. <laughs> <laughs> he hasn't been researched yet. Let's go ahead. But as you know, researching something that hasn't quite been researched as much finds its own challenges in there. But again, I love the idea of bringing this new um, activist into the into the light of um, of history. And as someone deeply ignorant on anything other than physical culture, how have studies on kind of apartheid uh, sport or anti-apartheid sport rather mm-hmm. uh, in the United States, have people looked at the individuals or have they looked in kind of broad strokes or have they looked at it in the 70s at all? So this, I feel from my own research that the 70s has kind of been neglected as far as um, sport and apartheid. Mm-hmm. A lot of it was done in the 60s because 1968, the Black Power Movement happened, um, the Civil Rights Movement was happening in the U.S. Uh, in the 70s, a lot of uh, anti-apartheid movements are focused on um, the sanctions outside of sport that were done. So most of the sporting sanctions are done... Um, in the early 70s, late 60s. Um, that's when the IOC decides to remove South Africa. Uh, FIFA follows. Mm. Um, and a lot of other international bodies do. Um, 70s, it's more just keeping South Africa out, right? Yeah. So there's not a lot of sanctions sport-wise that go on um, until the UN creates their uh, apartheid in sport. Uh, document but again like it just really hasn't been studied from a U.S. perspective and that's why I think that it it should be because there was still activism happening and it feels like a lost decade then you have the 80s when South Africa is really pushing to try to get in they're starting to change their apartheid laws and then in the 90s you know they're back into the Olympics so that's where a lot of more literature comes into play but the 70s are um, a missing decade I feel like yeah, they're kind of that transition between 60s and 80s that exactly. for whatever reason is just yeah. avoided. And a lot of, I feel like a lot of um, reasoning behind that too is that, the, you know, it's the human rights era um, in the U.S. And so a lot is focusing on uh, LGBT rights, on women's rights. Um, and it's, it's kind of avoiding that whole uh, international yeah. race era but a lot there are books out there not related to sport that focus on race and apartheid it's just within the context of sport that it's it's missing so you're really bringing it into conversation with the broader study of 1970s america and race within it exactly yeah because and there are, um you know barbara keys has written on yeah. the human rights era in the 70s and uh there are many other authors who have as well and historians, um, but I'm trying to focus it more on sport and anti-apartheid rather than just the U.S. human rights movement in sport or the U.S. human rights movement and anti-apartheid, but really bringing sport into that context. And where does Richard fit into all of this? So he, um, he actually graduated, might be misquoting the, the year, but he graduated in the early seventies, with his doctorate from the University of Denver. And he created um, this group called ACCESS, which is the American Coordinating Committee um, for Equality in Sport and Society. Names 
something around those lines. But it's a very long <laughs> it's, it's a problem That's that why it's access, right? Yeah. Trying to, yeah. Yeah, trying to figure <laughs> like, out exactly. Yeah. But um, he created this as a um, initially as a way to uh, bring light to the Davis Cup the, that was happening yeah. in the U.S. Um, they invited South African players to come uh, participate in the tennis tournament. And so his first order of business with Access was to boycott the Davis Cup. Uh, and it caused quite a, a stir. Um, it created people from not wanting South Africa to be there because they knew these apartheid issues were happening. Yeah. Um, and so he'd always been involved with human rights and um, civil rights issues. His dad was uh, the coach of the uh, Knicks. New York Knicks and um, hired on the first African American NBA player, so it's been in his blood yeah. that you know people should be equal. Um, so he really fought for that, and that's where uh, again he created this group in '76 um, or Access in '76. But before that, he was still doing a lot when it came to um, human rights yeah. uh, activism and. Um, he actually met Dennis Brutus, who's a big anti-apartheid, uh, who is like the head of the anti-apartheid movement in South Africa, um, at the University of Denver. And uh, Dennis Brutus was the one who was like, "Hey, you should focus on yeah, on apartheid yeah. issues, and and uh, we need your help." So um, they became very close, um, and just from there, he started really diving into it. And in terms of, again, deeply <laughs> <Yeah>. ignorant. <laughs> Which I got to say far too much in my life. How many groups were in the United States doing like with this focus on apartheid and sport? Was Access like one of the few, one one of the biggest, or is it one of many? So there there are many groups not necessarily focused on the sport aspect of yeah, it. Yeah, right. Um Access focused on sport and equality. Hmm. Um but Access was more of an umbrella organization that grabbed in the coalition um for African activism. Um, it brought in other activist groups um, that related to uh, civil rights and human rights issues in the U.S. and then also abroad. So a lot of um, I think Access was had thirteen groups under its oh, wow. organization. Yeah. yeah. Um, again, all of them were focused mostly on ending apartheid through any means possible. Access was focusing on the sport aspect. Yeah, because, again, okay. like the reason why I think this is important is what do people watch more of, right? Do they watch... I mean, as far as I know, like most people I know watch sporting events more than they do the news, right? <laughs> That's why the huge issue with Colin Kaepernick kneeling was such a yeah, prominent that... issue. It happened on the most holy of days in the U.S., which is <laughs> football Sunday. <laughs> so... so um, that's where, you know, I think that bringing into that sport context in the 70s, so there wasn't as much televised events, yeah. but it still brought it enough to where people were noticing it. Um, and he definitely, he got threatened for that a lot. Yeah. And in trying to actually uncover, because from what I understand, you're going to be the first study of like Richard within this broader sporting context because he's mm -hmm. written his own work. Right. When you're studying that, are you using his memoirs or do you have access to 
the access yeah. files, which is a clunky. It is a really clunky way. I don't know. That's been a weird writing um, yeah, okay, issue yeah. on access my part to access, too. Yeah. Um, the, the thesaurus has been a big a big help. <laughs> help <yeah. laughs> that word, but uh, no, I I've read a few of his books. He um, actually flew out to Florida. He still works at the uh, University of Central Florida. Um, He's the head of their sport management department over there. Yeah, so I flew out there. That that worked out well. Yeah, it was perfect. Um, Met with him, spoke with him for about two hours, um, and I've spoken with him over the phone. So I've had um, conversations with him and recorded those. Um, But yeah, I've read his books, um, Access, because that is the main group that I'm focusing on. Mm -hmm. I will acknowledge that he's created other organizations, but I think Access is the, uh, for this dissertation, this is the focus. Um, all of those files have actually been digitalized at Michigan State University in their African activist archives. Okay, which is music to any yes. researchers there. I was like, oh, yeah. I don't have to fly I don't have there. to travel. <laughs> so, um, but I'm still going to call them and make sure that all of their documents yeah, just, are just to be there safe. because my fear is that I'm going to miss a box, right? Yeah, full of stuff. With that really important one document exactly. that's going to prove everything. That's just going to say everything. In yeah. There. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's great. All of those documents are there. Um, I'm planning on utilizing the LA84 archives as well. Because mm-hmm. um, if you if you type in Richard Lapchick's name, um, now that I've learned how to properly search on the internet, you'll see a lot of um, letters that he's written to the IOC um, he's been featured a lot in newspapers in mm. the 80s and um, and 70s. And so I'm planning on u- utilizing all those sources as well just to see how prominent he was. Yeah. Um, even if people didn't know who he was, you know, because his name does pop up a lot. Yeah, so the influence is there whether mm-hmm. or not people actually acknowledge no. that. Yeah, acknowledge him, the individual. Exactly. And how hard was it to get in contact with Richard and actually organize the interviews with them or, you know, even over the phone or meeting them in person. Yeah, that was, <laughs> it proved to be a little problematic at times. Um, I, when I first uh, found access and I just wanted to get some preliminary um, information out of him, I emailed him and as I'm sure you know, it's emails get lost sometimes. Yeah. Um, so it took about three months. I emailed him again and then um, I went to a conference in California. It's called CSOR, Center oh, for okay. Sociocultural Olympic Studies. Another great acronym. Another great acronym. <laughs> yes. yeah. um, and, you know, that's my alma mater. So I went there and uh, David Wiggins, who's a really known scholar, um, I was talking with him about how interested I was in access and, and, uh, and Richard Lapchick. And he's like, oh, I know Rich. He's like, oh, yeah. oh, oh, he's like, oh, 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 oh Richie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was like, oh, good. Can you get me to... Yeah, yeah. To, Please okay. pass me on to... Exactly. So he sent an email um, including me in it. Hmm. And from there on, it was pretty pretty easy to to get a hold of him. Um, getting the interview together was proved to be difficult. Yeah. Uh, he's still, like I said, very much um, a busy person. He's still, you know, running the department. He's uh, or heavily involved with the department at UCF. Um, and he's still very much involved in activism Hmm. um and not just race activism he's involved with lgbtq plus activism um women's rights and so he goes to all these different speaking events and uh 
So he had one weekend this semester. <laughs> yeah. So I flew. I was like, yeah, I'll make it work. Like, yeah, no matter what, I'll <laughs> yeah. be there. Yeah. So yeah, I flew out and um, now he's like, anytime that you need, hmm. you know, just call me and we'll, we'll chat. I'm like, great. <laughs> so, but it was great. It was great to actually meet him. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, like as someone who, and anyone who does oral history would be slapping their heads, but yeah. as someone who deals primarily with dead people <laughs> or people who, at least I hope are dead, because yeah. now, you know, 120 years ago, what, like what insights or what what changes if anything in your research when you get to talk to the primary person because you're in quite like a privileged position in the sense of being able to interview like the person like it's not people who knew Richard but Richard himself so did that change or give you any insights into the research itself it's definitely made it a, a little difficult I would say to keep my own bias biases I can't speak today yeah, out no, of, sorry that is not I difficult. can't speak any day so um, feel free out of out of uh my research at the time yeah of um because of course I'm it is an oral history and it is mm. on his life um and I think that he's a fantastic human being with everything that he's done um I need but to I, write my biographies yeah no, <laughs> there we go yeah, right you're a fantastic yeah. human being. <laughs> um but I do need to stay impartial with yeah, yeah. the research right um and so in my interviews, I try to stay very, uh, very impartial with mm. the questionings and just get his perspective and answers. And then having to go back and reread the history around that time, yeah. right? Um, newspaper articles, whatever's happening, and piece together what he has told me versus what yeah, other writings have on. been on. So that proves to be a challenge um but i think it's a challenge that you'll meet with any type of research yeah, in general of what you're doing. because yeah. if you're passionate about it and you want one you know narrative to to mm. work out and <laughs> something else pops in that disrupts that narrative um but overall i, I don't think it's any different than because i've mostly done archival research yeah. before this um and the people that i was researching for my thesis were deceased as well so, so um it hasn't proved much different besides yeah. just being able to formulate questions that um allow for open answers um, mm. when i'm speaking with him and from what i understand your research itself is it's a mixture of kind of biography and like historical research at the same time isn't it so it's yes like situating richard within this context but it's more the context rather than like Richard himself. Exactly. So yeah. I'm not trying to do for the dissertation a biography. Yeah, yeah. That would take too long. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to graduate before 10 years are up. But That'd be nice, right? Yeah, yeah. But um, I think eventually it could turn into a biography. Mm. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to situate him more into the context of the human rights movement. Yeah. Um, the 1970s and the anti-apartheid movement rather than just focus on a strict biography or strict oral history mm. which is nice because you get like that kind of best of both whereas mm -hmm. you get to highlight the really exceptional individuals mm -hmm. but then also shed light on this area that hasn't perhaps gotten like the due attention it should have mm -hmm. so he starts off with tennis in the Davis Cup mm -hmm. where does that go from there because I presume he's not just you know focusing on the one sport. Yeah, so um, 
pretty much any time a South African team or a South African athlete was invited to come participate in the U.S. or the U.S. was participating against South Africa in any mm. means, um, access and him were, were fighting against it. So mm. rugby, um, there were some swimming and diving teams in the, in the 70s that were invited to go to South Africa from the U.S. Um, because the IOC uh, sanctioned that no athletes who wanted to perform in the Olympics could uh, participate against South Africa, mm-hmm. um, those athletes were suspended once they were found out. So same with, I mean, tennis, same with... Um, boxing, running, mm. anything like that. Um, so, but he was, yeah, any sporting event that included South Africa and the U.S. access, access was, was there to to shed light on those issues. So they had flyers that were sent out, um, newspaper, you know, wrote to newspapers, um, organized boycotts, um, and again, just were really, really prominent in, in fighting against it through sport. And were they... Always, well, that's maybe a presumptuous question, but were they warmly received by the media in the U.S. or were they seen as kind of rabble rousers or? Um, I wouldn't say they were widely received because I, uh, I think that fighting anything through sport it's in controversial. the U.S. is controversial. Um, they weren't. They weren't perceived poorly either so a lot of the newspaper articles that i've read so far um have kind of just mentioned you know oh you know access is here there's a protest here um again not a big issue but when there were feelings towards it by sports writers or any writers it usually tended to be towards the negative um that these people were putting a boycott and why can't south africa just participate it's not their athlete's fault that their country has these laws right and again it's not their athlete's fault that their country has these laws but in order to make a positive change you know yeah something 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 has to to give give, so um yeah so within the context there are you know, writers and, and uh, newspapers that put a poor spin on mm. on their boycotts. But for the most part, um, they seem to be pretty impartial. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And does access eventually become a nationwide phenomenon in terms of the wing targeting sport, or is it very localized? So it's very localized. It ends in, I mean, it doesn't end ever <laughs> so yeah. it still has it still, still ongoing it's uh but it, their last um their last document and last meeting was in 1981 so it was a very short tenure that they had that works so well yeah, exactly for it's like, oh perfect <laughs> i have a start and an end date. Um, but yeah, yeah. There's, there's no ambig- ambiguity like why did you choose the end of it's like well. yeah no it just it kind of shifts into another one of his um organizations which i can't remember the name of it another um, another, yeah, another um, one yeah. and he just kind of continues to uh to go on with his activism right um mm. but again in in 81 when it does taper down it's mostly because that's when the sanctions from the u.s actually start happening so 81 is where the bank sanctions happen the economic sanctions and um and at that point, it's like, okay, now everybody's on board yeah. with cutting out South Africa. It's almost like it's only a matter of time. Exactly. Yeah, okay. So, um, 
yeah, that's kind of, kind of stays localized mm-hmm. as far as, as that goes. But he does have organizations from all over the U.S. participating um, with his research. But he's East Coast. Yeah, mainly, okay. Yeah. And in terms of so the documents which, like, in the ultimate godsend, have mm-hmm. been now digitized, hopefully all of them, is it minutes from access or is it more candid, like, stuff going on as well? Like, letters Richard may have written... A correspondence over and back. Just wondering in terms of the collection itself, like what does it entail? Yeah, so um, there's both, yeah. which is great. Uh, there's letters from him. Is to... it too late for me to study this? Yeah, stuff? <laughs> <laughs> it's all on there. Any anything with that's the great thing about Michigan State, the African Activist Archive. A lot of it is digitalized, and if it's not or digitized, and if it's not fully there yet. I called him and I was like, oh, I see that this hasn't had anything on there. Like, oh, we're, we're working on it. So they're trying to get their whole collection online, yeah. which is and it's incredible. incredible. And it's not just sport, but there's a lot of sport documents on there. So um, if anybody's studying sport issues within the U.S. and even abroad, too, because it's not just within the U.S., they have a lot of, of um, documents online already. Hmm. Um and if it's not there, they plan on having that done within like the next five years. So it's great. Wow. Um, at least for, you know, unless yeah. you don't want to fly anywhere <laughs> or you can't. Um, oh, carbon footprints now. You're, you're yeah. the new breed of ecological <laughs> graduate students. Exactly. We're trying to, you know, reduce the carbon footprint. But no, um, I forgot the question that Sorry, you had asked. The, oh, yeah, what documents are yeah. in there? Um, yeah, so there's correspondence, um, which mm-hmm. is great because you really do get to see, you know, uh, the messages that were being sent back and forth. Um, a lot of it's meeting minutes and mm-hmm. then as well as flyers for um, what, you know, for the boycotts that they were having. Yeah. So, Well, that's incredible because yeah. you you're getting such a personal insight into what's actually going on. Mm-hmm. How far is Richard's ambition in terms like so is he's writing to the ioc is like who are the people he's writing to yeah so um pretty much any uh organizers who are organizing the events um Mm. within with south africa uh the ioc he's you know he's written to members of the ioc executive committee um a lot of letters have been written to um newspapers in order to get them to get the word out that yeah. there's these boycotts happening. Um, and then also to the sporting teams themselves. So Really? Yeah. So, um, you know, with the Davis Cup, it's yeah. U.S. tennis. Don't participate against them. This is what's happening within South Africa. This is why it's important not to participate with them. Um, Does he get a response from some of the bigger sporting federations that he would have written to? Some of them responded... Um, not during the Davis Cup. I didn't see any of those correspondence. But then again, that's why I'm calling the Michigan State because I'm like, they had to have sent something back. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's where I'm still trying to dig through those documents and mm-hmm. see what the responses were, um, if there were any responses. And that's also a great part about having um, the ability to contact him and say, hey, do you still have any of these documents? It's kind of a nice position to be in. And exactly. That, you know, one of your major subjects is yeah. now on the end of the phone. Exactly. So um, as far as like with the Davis Cup, I don't see any, um, I haven't seen any documents uh, of the response back. Yeah. Um, 
However, I'm sure that there's something there, even after the Davis Cup, you know, boycott happened. So that I'm still trying to look for. You'd imagine a lot of the responses would be along the lines of, I'd said, like, sport is completely different from what's going on, why are the athletes being punished, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. I, would, I would imagine as someone completely oblivious to this period of history. Yeah, no, a lot of those documents are um, are that. And then there's also letters from U.S. citizens to him. Why are you doing this? Why This isn't important. Like, you know, again, this isn't the athlete's fault. So that's very... Um, and they've been kept and put online as well. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, there's a few of them on there too. And then he actually, um, he tells the story, but he... Uh, was actually ambushed in his office um, when he was a professor. He just graduated. Um, and he had the N-word carved into his stomach. Yeah. Because of the Davis Cup. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So oh when I say God, he's been threatened, horrific. he's been... That, yeah, yeah that's... He's been through Oof. it. Yeah, when I asked him, I was like, oh, did you ever think of stopping, you know? like Yeah, well, a, I mean, that's a pretty... You know, and he had kids, he has a wife, you know? Yeah. And uh, he said, that just means that I was doing something right. <laughs> I was like, I wish I could be I you, saying, right? Yeah, that's, that's absolutely incredible. Yeah. My God, the level of vitriol then for what was kind of like a startup mm-hmm. human rights group rather than like an established... It shows how important or how... But yeah, how important and significant. Mm-hmm. So I'm absolutely stunned by that. Yeah. Um, like I said, I was starstruck meeting him and yeah. talking with him because hearing these... I don't know if I could ever... I mean, I wish I could be the, at that level of commitment for mm. something and maybe one day I will be, but he's had that commitment and yeah. to be, nope, I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep going through it. I think that's incredible. So. Yeah, so I mean, definitely a person worth much greater historical attention exactly and a great deal of respect because that is a horrific thing for yeah. someone to do to another human being which... exactly i just and i don't understand but again and again that's he was fighting with sport right yeah. and that's what's interesting is that they took so much offense to this oh well, that, happening you know that's a completely well yeah i mean it, you know in the historian's eye that mm-hmm. is just a sign of how important sport was in people's lives. Mm-hmm. And then from a human being's eye, you're like, what are you doing? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, okay, wow, that's incredible. So I suppose the final question, because I've now been lost for words with that anecdote, <laughs> is what does the next year hold for you, a year and a half? Because I know you're hoping to finish this research within the next couple of months. Is that right? Yeah, so I'm hoping to finish my dissertation by august or december of 2020 um and then hopefully that leads into um, a position at a university Mm. um but i really do want to focus on i mean i think my research for the past five years has been on race relations and sport and the importance of it and um i want to continue focusing on that type of research um again just to bring up Latchik again, but um, he was invited to uh, Nelson Mandela's inauguration and he went and Nelson Mandela, instead of going to a inauguration party, went to a soccer game. Um, and when Latchik asked him, why did you choose to come to the soccer game instead of a party? Yeah. He said, because I want people to know that 
sport helped our country get to where it is. Like, and that to me is like, that's my whole argument is that sport can change things. Right. So I want to continue to focus on, on those studies. Um, I think I'm probably not going to beat that as a final epitaph. So Tanya, again, thank you very much. Um, Thank you. The SSH members will be able to get more information in the bio on the podcast and I'd really recommend people to keep an eye out on your work. Thank you so much, Connor. Thank you again. Thank you.